people will think, oh my gosh, how did you live in a 576 square foot apartment with a wife, two kids, and a dog, and a hamster actually, um, that whole time. And I look back on it, and to be very honest, my wife and I sit in our, on our 13 acre property with ponds and streams and everything that we've always dreamed about having, and we look at that little 576 square foot apartment, the fact we didn't have any money in the checking account, and those were some of the happiest three and a half years of our lives. We had nothing, but we had everything. I guess it's the easiest way to say it. Mm. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest, Jay Hodge, has an interesting story where after high school went into the military. Actually, he was in college for about 12 months or even less than a year before he found out his wife was pregnant, so I just really can't continue the school. I better go work. So it really is Jay's uh, study and working with many multinational companies on how to really optimize uh, systems and performance and leadership. In you know, what are some of the qualities and characteristics that really he's had to embrace to get to where he's at uh, today? So we talk about several different things and just the importance of processes, engaging people, and paying attention to what's most important to use. Now, as always, we thank you for being a listener. If you like what we're doing, pass it on, share it, leave a positive response in whatever platform you're listening on. Now, this show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group, which is our publishing and training company, and you know, producing 12 psychological assessments the personal style indicator being, in our opinion, and also not really our opinion, but in the opinion of the participants, is the number one personality assessment in the world based on the feedback we have from our participants for over 20 years. And there's multiple reasons for that, but we've also built a course around that assessment, uh, which is built on my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me? So you can take just the assessment, the personal style indicator, or you can go in depth and really understand the differences about you know, your personal style, other people call it personality, developing the whole person. Uh, we give you brand new definitions and fresh ones, in fact, ones that fit. Uh, we're gonna suggest that the definitions of introversion and extroversion really don't include everybody. It's discriminatory and it's really uh, excludes some individuals out there that we interact with and so a lot of us just say hey I don't really fit with this other definition so I will cover that and I cover that in detail in the course and that is part of our one day program converted into an online course called why aren't you more like me so uh, thank you again for listening and being a listener you know uh, if you know of somebody who would be an amazing guest let us know or uh, maybe there's some questions or or directions or thoughts for us, then we're open to hear from it and just uh, share it on the platform you're listening on. So here is the Secrets of Success episode with Jay Hodge. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, have you ever thought about how can we find or have people more engaged? How can we have individuals just feeling more motivated in life or inspired? And so today's guest, Jay Hodge, is going to help us with that. And he's also authored a book, and we'll talk about that here in a second as well. So Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Pleasure to be on. Now, Jay's so busy, audience, that he's on pulled off on the side of a road in the middle of the middle of Indianapolis just to or Indiana, pardon me. Um in well the corn's not up yet at this time of the year when we're recording this, so we can't tell them. We're not gonna try to stale date this episode because people are gonna watch it and listen to it forever. So um so thank you for taking the time, Jay, to kinda hang out with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So, Jay, one of the things we do, and of course I was just mentioning your book here, which is The Lean Treasure Chest. It says, does that say photos of fatherhood? It does, and I I misspelled it on purpose, and everyone asks me that. I I misspelled it because as you read the book, um, 
it, it identifies that there is no such thing as a perfect father. And so I just kind of, I was a prelude to the fact that that's what that is. So you have a book about fatherhood, but now you're a consultant to business and helping employee engagement in management and leadership. So how do those two connect? Um, they both require humility. <laughs> um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, to be a, to be a good father or at least an adequate father, you have to be humble. And to be, to be honest, when you're working with organizations, um, as a consultant, you have to be humble enough to know that, that every organization is different. Every organization has opportunities. They're all unique. And you have to know that going in, not have an assumption that you know everything walking in the front doors. I could concur with that for sure. So let's just kind of drill back or fold back or look back, whatever way we want to describe it. And you've listened to some of the episodes. And, Jay, we always like to get to know our guests from their journey point of view, their story. So what part of the country did you grow up and what was sort of your story or journey as a kid with your family? Sure. Um, I grew up in Indiana until I was 16. So we were lower middle class. I, I'll just throw it out there. I'm an under, I was an undersized kid. I started mowing yards when I was uh, eight years old. And this is no joke. People, people say you're kidding. If you look at a push mower, a push mower handle has the top handle and then it has the bar that runs across in the middle. I used to stand between those two handles and push mow the neighbor's yards to make money. Um, people thought it was rather strange looking, but it worked for me. So, um, mm. yeah. So, so you became the lawnmower millionaire. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say I was a millionaire. I spent probably a good portion of that at the drugstore on video games back in the uh, the 80s, which was uh, that era. So, no, I, I don't think I have any of those funds still lingering. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, I'm messing with you for sure. So, <laughs> a middle-class family, what did your sort of parents do for their occupations? My dad was a uh, an airport engineer, so he worked on airports, and my mom was a, a stay-at-home mom. So she she raised us and and my sister and I that was that was a chore let's just say that. So um, your sister is older older or younger? Younger sister, younger sister. Okay, so the big older brother. Now does she look up to you or just say you're just a pain? Well, she would probably say I was a pain, and even though she was younger, uh, she was taller than me until I was about twelve, which really drove me nuts. We went to a place called Kings Island once. And you know they have those cars that run on the tracks that you don't really steer it that steers it for you. Yes, exactly. We went there and, and she got to sit in the driver's seat and I didn't. That was a that was a bad black Man, day. Man, it sounds life. like you're still wounded from that, Jay. I, I don't want to talk a, about it anymore. We're gonna do a po- <laughs> we're gonna do a post show counseling session. Yes. Okay. I got my checkbook out. Well, I get that. I'm not the tallest person in the room either, and so you know when you're height restricted. <laughs> you just say, oh, man, please, please, I, I want to be a little bit taller than some of these <laughs> basketball stars that are seven foot for sure. So yeah. with that, um, Jay, uh, what was kind of uh, high school like for you? Um, high school was, was pleasant. I was one of the, what I would refer to as one of the invisible kids. I got average grades. I was average in sports. Um, it, it was it was a good experience. It was one of the those times where you make the best friends of, of sometimes of your life. And I still got two friends that were my best friends in high school, and they're still instrumental in my life just because of the bonds that we created years and years and years ago. So it's a good mm-hmm. experience until my sophomore year, when we moved to Colorado in the middle of my sophomore year, which was, you know, it was a transition. And my parents tell me now that they they really regretted doing that but but I've told them for years that that was probably one of the best things that could have happened to me because uh, it got me out of my shell it required me to go out on the edge to step out a little more and I think that's really um part of the reason that I started my own company is that I had to uh to get past the the complacency or commonality of of what I was living at that point so it's a good experience so was your dad transferred? Is that what happened? Yeah, he basically moved, uh, took a position out in Colorado, and so we followed him. Well, it's amazing when you're 16 years old what you might do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I think we're coming with you, Dad. Uh, so you, <laughs> so you, you finish your high school, then where did you transition from there? So from high school, I went into the um, went to college for a year, University of Northern Colorado. Um, my wife and I got married 
And so what were you thinking in that year, um, Jay? Accounting. Accounting and economics, which is, I, I love, I love math. I love numbers for, I don't know if that makes me some kind of weird person, but I really do. I love spreadsheets and all yeah, of that. You'll, you'll get over it. You'll get over it. <laughs> I <laughs> hope not. So, I'm just messing um, with you. For, as an individual who's, who teaches personality and personality assessments, I get it completely. It, it's just <laughs> something natural. And so you go for a year. So did you mm-hmm. finish or did you just kind of depart? I didn't. Um, my, um, I was going into the Marine Corps Reserve while I was going to college. My wife is four years older than me. She already had her degree. So I was, we got married. I was continuing college. And it turns out three months into our marriage, we had planned on waiting until I was graduated college before we started having children, which I just absolutely was passionate about. I wanted to have, wanted to have kids. Three months into our marriage, she's, she's sitting at the side of the bed crying, and I wake up, and I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, it's blue. I'm like, what do you mean it's blue? Well, she showed me the little pregnancy test thing, and it was the blue. It was a blue strip. And so I was like, okay. So we made the decision, um, and I went ahead and went into the Marine Corps full-time because um, I've always wanted to be a Marine. So instead of reserves, I went full-time. And, uh, cool. Now, you skipped over this whole thing about my wife, and then she's pregnant, but you're like, where did you meet her? What's the story there? Oh, okay. Actually, I met my wife um, at church. Um, she was one of the youth group sponsors, and I just fell in love with her. But she told me for uh, two and a half years while I'm in high school, no, I'm too old for you. Um, find someone else. And then finally, after high school, I said, come on, let's, let's give me a shot. And she did. And, uh, and we, you know, the interesting <laughs> thing was... with an older, an older woman. Okay, Jay. But, yeah, but it, it I apparently it seems to work out. How long have you been married now? 31 years. So you're just kind of like getting started. Yeah, yeah, basically just getting over that, that initial hump of getting to know each other. Mm, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, th- there you go. Well, you know what? She was wise not to mess with you, especially she was in the leader role. Yes, uh, she was. Yeah. Nowadays they say, okay, you know, my um, my daughter is now um, marrying into a family and her future sister-in-law uh, married uh-huh. the youth leader as well, but he is 10 years her senior. Oh, so wow. They've been married now for, I think, three or four years. So it's, it's going right. well. We saw him the other day, and it's, it's, so it's great. So I'm glad that worked out. Uh, I just <laughs> think the audience needed to know that, you know, that, that, that process. So you, so you uh, dropped out of school and went into the Marine Corps. Now, were you full-time, or were you kind of I was. local? Or I was. I was okay. uh, in the Marine Corps full-time for five years. Okay. And so were you deployed anywhere? No, we were uh, – well, let's see. We went from – um, San Diego to Beaufort, South Carolina to or actually Millington, Tennessee to Beaufort, South Carolina to Washington, D.C. I was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base my last two and a half years. Mm, so, cool. That was interesting being a Marine on an Air Force Base. Uh, so explain that to the uh, audience there. What's that like? <laughs> um, well, we were. I was a, a technician um, for the Communication Navigation Weapon Systems for an F-18 squadron that is stationed at Andrews Air Force Base. And so we had F-16s um, just to the left and some other Air Force planes just to the right. So we're kind of in the middle. It was interesting. I mean, we got along great, but um, we were Marines and we were the the grunts. So, you know, but it, it was a good experience. There's a lot of really good people in the Air Force. My dad was an Air Force guy, so he gave me one heck of a hard time for being a Marine stationed at an Air Force base. Of course. Of course, you guys do that. My uncle is a retired colonel from the Army, so mm-hmm. uh, I get it. So everybody has their own bias <laughs> about, you know, who's yes. the other. It's just, it's just part of that space. It is. For those of you that are not into the military, no worries. You'll get over it. No worries. Yep. You won't have to listen to that. So what was really driving you to join? Into um, you know, it, this sounds weird, but um, whenever my dad taught me years ago, from, from as far as I can remember, if you're going to do something, um, challenge yourself to the best. Um, and not that the Marines are the best over the Army, Air Force, or anybody else, but they were they're perceived as the toughest to be one. And um, so that was a challenge for me. And, and you know, you're, you're probably reading a lot into this and there's a lot to read into it, but I love a challenge. Don't tell me I can't do something. Don't tell me it's not possible because that's all I need. That's the trigger I need to motivate me and do it. And being five foot five, it was really funny because when I was in boot camp, um, 
until about four weeks into boot camp, um, they march you in order of height. I was on the back row. So everywhere we marched, I was on the back row because it goes all the way from the tallest to the smallest. And guess who was one of the smallest? That would be me. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I think at five five, yeah, that would the odds would be in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> now after that, you know, I mean, let's just stay here for a second, Jay, before we get into your business and what you're doing now and helping others. But if you were to describe to the audience some of the principles, and we've had, you know, military individuals on the show before, but what would be some of the skills or character traits or things that you learned in that five years that you found extremely valuable that would be helpful for the audience to consider? You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is discipline. Um, Discipline is is something that um, requires you to not take the easy road. Um, Discipline, for me, at least from my perspective, is discipline says that this is where I'm going to go. This is my objective. This is what I, I'm passionate about. This is what I'm going to do. And it, it, it acknowledges at the very beginning that there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be things that make, make it almost impossible to, to do. But discipline uh, and perseverance, I think, are what get you through it. Acknowledging those things in advance, that you're going to have struggles, you're going to want to give up, um, makes discipline for me much more of a reality than a theory, I guess. Mm-hmm. So at five point or five point five at five five, <laughs> yeah, so I was I was taking the numbers in your height and merging the two together. So I got a lot of you when it works for you. Uh, <laughs> were there some people that were in your camp that were washed out that didn't make it? There were, um, and it's surprising. Um, we had a couple guys that washed out, and they were the bigger guys. The big we had one guy that was just he could have been a bodybuilder. He was just a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, physically he, he had it all going on. Um, he had everything he needed, but mentally, um, he wasn't prepared. He, um, and I don't know if things had come very easy for him and he thought that, you know, the Marine Corps was going to be just all physical, but it's not, it wasn't by any means. In fact, I'd say probably 70% of the battle was, was mental and emotional. So, but yes, absolutely. And it was a surprise to everybody because we figured they would be the ones who would uh, rise to the top, and they didn't. Hmm. Anything else about that experience that would be helpful for the listeners to Absolutely. You know, consider? One of the most interesting things that I can remember is four weeks into boot camp, my senior drill instructor um, walked up to us. We're on the obstacle course, and he walked up to my entire platoon and, and asked the question, who here wants to challenge a senior drill instructor to the obstacle course? Well, I raised my hand. I was the only one to raise my hand, so I raised my hand. And so I got up there in the front, and we started going through it, and uh, we got through it. We got all the way to the last obstacle, which was the uh, the rope. You have to climb the rope. And so mm-hmm. they made me – I actually got there before he did, so the other drill instructors made me wait. And uh, we, he got there, so we both started climbing the rope, and I'm climbing up just using my arms to get all the way to the top, tap the post, uh, recruit highs, platoon 2005, senior drill instructor, Staff Sergeant Ramos, and I start on my way down. And uh, I get about halfway down, and the other drill instructors at the bottom of the rope just come unglued. And they said, you just kicked your senior drill instructor in the head. Get back up there and apologize. <laughs> so I climbed all the way back up and uh, got all the way to the top and apologized to my senior drill instructor. Now, that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that night when we're all standing there in our skivvies doing our inspection and they're walking around. Senior drill instructor walked up to me and he says, do you think you can leave this, this platoon? I said, sir, yes, sir. And from that moment on, I was the, the platoon leader. So the, the shortest guy over um, the rest of the people, 60-something people. And it, it just goes back to what I was talking about before, discipline and the courage to, to step out. And that's why I said moving to Colorado really kind of changed who I was. Mm, mm. Well, and you know, you took a chance in – what do you think was going through the mind later on? I imagine some of your buddies in your company. What were they thinking that they didn't put their hand up? What was holding them back? Uh, well, they told me flat out, you're nuts. Why would you do that? Um, I, I think it's because in, in boot camp, and I guess it's really the same in life, it's easier to exist inside the crowd than to be the one at the front of the crowd. 
to be the one that sits at the front of the class, um, to be the one that, that steps out and takes a stand. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our society um, struggle with that. That's not how I'm made. And I, don't, I really believe that a lot of the success that I've been blessed with has been the result of me being willing to raise my hand or to step out and say, I can, I'll do that. Hmm. Exactly. And, you know, the same thing for audience members, you know, our secrets of success listeners is, you know, getting these levels of achievement, you don't get that hiding in the crowd. You do have to step out. You do have to take chances. You do have to, it does require some courage or just, uh, you know, scared out of your pants kind of situation where you say, okay, Absolutely. Yeah, oh, hey, you're crazy. You're nuts. Oh, hey, that's fine. Uh, but I'm also now leading the platoon. So with that said, after the five years, uh, why, I mean, you could have stayed in longer. Uh, why leave? We made the decision, my wife and I. I have a son, Justin, who was born um, visually impaired. And uh, we made the decision that, you know, raising him to, be, to live a normal, functional life, um, I needed to be at home. And so I knew that I was going to be deployed if I stayed in past my five. I was going to be deployed probably overseas. And so my wife and I made a, a quality of life decision to, uh, to stay for me to get another job and for us to raise our son and daughter um, together for me to be there. And so it, it, was, it, was, um, it was for my son, mm. plain and simple. Well, um, congratulations on that. So in some ways I was going to ask the question, how hard was that? But what did it mean to you internally where you – you, to a certain extent, gave up your dream about being a Marine for your life. You know, it was. I, I always wanted to be a Marine, but there was one thing that I always wanted to be more than that, and that was a death. Um, I've, I, you know, from, from the time I was 11, 12 years old, I've always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to raise children and watch them succeed. Because from from my perspective, nothing that I have ever accomplished, I don't care what my bank account says, I don't care uh, what the trophies or what the plaques mm-hmm. or anything else, none of them compare to watching my kids succeed. Mm. That, is, that, that blows everything I've done out of the water. Well, as a father of a 25 and soon to be 24-year-old, I can uh, concur with that as well uh, with That's it. Not- so then what did you go, when you left the Marines, what did you go into? So when I left the Marines, um, I became a deputy out in Wyoming. I realized after about six months, great department, great team, but that's not what I was passionate about. Um, I, I was passionate, I'm passionate about um, business. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm passionate about business. And so my wife and I made the very difficult decision to, uh, for me to go back to school. You know, with, with the wife and two kids, we lived in a 576-square-foot apartment for three years. Um, three and a half years while I completed um, my bachelor's degree. And, uh, you know, people will think, oh, my gosh, how did you live in a 576-square-foot apartment with a wife, two kids, and a dog, and a hamster, actually, um, that whole time? And I look back on it, and to be very honest, my wife and I sit in our, on our 13-acre property with ponds and streams and everything that we've always dreamed about having, and we look at that little 576-square-foot apartment, the fact we didn't have any money in the checking account, and those were some of the happiest three and a half years of our lives. We had nothing, but we had everything. I guess you, you, the easiest way to say it. Mm. So what would you say to listeners about the kind of sacrifice you went through there to get to where you're at? How, how, do, you, how do you apply that story to your training and the work that you do with leaders and managers now? I think the easiest way to, to sum that up is, is called delayed gratification. Um, it would have been very easy for me to leave the sheriff's department, find another job, uh, or go back into the military, to be honest. But it was one of those things that, you know, my parents, once again, my parents taught me that anything worth achieving is going to take some time. Nothing, nothing great ever comes easy, and there's a lot of truth to that. And so my wife and I, you know, there were some times when we questioned ourselves, oh, is it worth it? We realized that, you know, three and a half years sounds like a long period of time when you're, when you're at the front of it. But as you get towards the middle and you get towards the end, you realize that three and a half years is just three and a half years. And it's a, it's a speck in the, the timeline of your life, I guess is the easiest way mm-hmm. to say that. 
So, mm-hmm. and it just took some perseverance and looking out in the future and realizing what was, what was coming and having faith um, that for us, that, that God's plan was being revealed and he would, he was uh, leading mm-hmm. us in that direction. Mm, for sure, Jay. Now with that, you finished school. What did you go into? I got, um, I was offered a position by Ford um, Finance out in South Carolina. So we took that position. I went out there. Then I realized I didn't really care for accounting that much. That was my degree, accounting. So, But what I did enjoy, and, and this is kind of where the whole plot twists, I enjoyed operations. So flight operations in the Marine Corps, absolutely the greatest, greatest um, job in the world for me. So what I realized is that operations and the financial side of operations, the accounting side of it, they actually go really well together. And so my, 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 that's really where my career blossomed is from that point on, I became an operations manager for an organization. Uh, then I ended up working for General Motors and operations, then Toyota, then Caterpillar, then Tenet Healthcare, then my own company. Um, so it, it, it was, you know, that's why I tell my, my kids is, well, two of them have already graduated, but I'm telling my 18-year-old right now who just graduated, you're going to go in, you're going to get your degree in this, but don't be surprised if after your first year you modify your degree a little or after you finish your degree, if you don't change or modify um, what you actually do. And I think that's actually very common. The most, a lot of the people that I've hired over the years, the degree that they actually um, have from college doesn't match what they're actually doing, but what they're doing is what they're passionate about. Well, that is common, and my wife was an academic coach at a university, and as a career coach, uh, for sure, my son changed his majors, I think, five or six times in his first year. So <laughs> part, part of when uh, kids are that age, 17, 18, yeah. 19, even 20, is, there's, here's the research, Jay, and then you can share it with your audience later on, is what they call the reflective mind doesn't even mature until you're about 19 years of age. Mm-hmm. So what we mean by that is you have a, a situation in life that's occurred and then your ability to really look at that and think about it and what it means to your life really doesn't come to age until you're 19. So that's why first and second year students change their majors so often is they're just mm-hmm. figuring it out. So parents that are listening, chill, chill out. Uh, yep. This changing their mind, <laughs> that, is, that is normal. That is the way that it goes. Uh, and then finally, my son just said, hey, I'm just going to take general studies. Screw it. I'm just going to take uh-huh. the courses I love and I enjoy. And then he ended up getting a minor in business, which he enjoyed. But he didn't want a major in business because it required stats and he hated stats and he failed at right. and you know, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, allow that flexibility. And so I'm just taking off on where you talk, Jade, to um, say, so, you know, life is really about figuring it out as you went. Now. Here's kind of a, an, a question that maybe one or two listeners are thinking about. How come you couldn't keep a job? You work for all these different suppliers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm messing with Jay a little bit here, listeners. <laughs> you know, Toyota, GM, Caterpillar. So that's, that's a lot of different uh, companies over the years. So what was sort of driving this continuous kind of shift? So, and I'll clarify, I'm 53 years old, so when I say from this company to this company, I spent five years at General Motors, and, you know, when you're at General Motors, the benchmark, especially during that era, was was Toyota, and so, I mean, General Motors was kind of fashioning a lot of their operations after the Toyota way and the Toyota production system, and so when I got a call from Toyota about coming and taking a position with them, um, it was a no-brainer. I mean, why not just go to the source of, uh, of lean management system, of, of lean? Um, and so I did, and I spent uh, almost five years at Toyota. Now, once you've, and everybody that's, that's been at Toyota can probably um, justify this, once you have Toyota on your resume, that becomes a draw. And so Caterpillar, um, great company, was going through a, a phase where they also wanted to implement um, the, the Toyota production system. They call it CPS, Caterpillar Production System. So they flavored it to themselves um, because it's a very different industry, uh, very different dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to accomplish the same thing because they saw the value in the system itself. And so I ended up working for, for Caterpillar for, for about three years. And from Caterpillar, um, tenant healthcare. So I don't know how many 
people realize this or when they look at lean, they look at the, the philosophy, the transform, transformational culture. Um, healthcare is about, I'd say, 15 to 20 years behind manufacturing when it comes to lean philosophies and understanding the, the efficiencies of it, the benefits of it, and the cultural transformation. So I got a call from a friend who worked at a, a, a healthcare company, and uh, he said, listen, we see the value. We want to do this at this company. Can you come join us? And so for me, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about with your son. You know, I'm passionate. I love operations. I love manufacturing. It's, it's, it's just outstanding. I've never been in healthcare. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't know anything about healthcare. But what I do understand are processes. And this is, this is where it gets very interesting because a lot of people think that lean is all about waste. It's not. It's about understanding your processes so that you can eliminate waste and improve or increase value for your customers or your patients. So it was actually a very, very good transition, perfect fit, and I've been working with healthcare companies for the last three years. Cool. Well, as I was hired by Chrysler to do their process reengineering mm-hmm. uh, project, this is way back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay, so I get that. And, yep. you know, when you think about it, you'd be, I think many people would actually be shocked on how poorly run, when we talk about systems, processes, checklists, that kind of stuff, many industries are. So my son's mm-hmm. a pilot. You know, thank goodness there are checklists for most pilots to take off. Those yeah. systems have taken years. Same thing, you were in the Air Force, you probably had a, a maintenance checklist, you had protocols, you had systems. Um, my very good friend who passed away from uh, cancer now was a um, aviator on an aircraft carrier. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, it is one of the most highly orchestrated environments in the world. And he says, if you don't, mm-hmm. you know, many people die. So sure. that, that's part of where, when you think about healthcare, the amount of errors, uh, mistakes with patients, patients dying from errors, they're significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, around the world every year. Why? Lack of systems and processes, right? Right. Yep, exactly right. Lack of standards. And that's where, it's a perfect point. You know, the simple stuff like drawing blood or um, delivering meds or taking samples that you're going to send to the lab. You've got five or six nurses doing it five or six different ways. How can you ever say that you have a quality process when you don't even actually have a process that's being followed? You have six processes. Mm -hmm. Which one's the best? Which one's delivering the highest quality, the best safety, the best outcomes? Well, until you have standards, until you have defined processes, you don't. You never know. And when you you have a quality defect or you have a problem, where where did it originate from? You'll never find out because you have six different processes being being used so exactly right exactly and uh, so we get that and you know that happens for you know think about even like kids and discipline when you have chaos chaos really does stress kids out you know even if mm-hmm. they're 8 9 10 11 12 so the more that you can bring some and then we're not talking about quote unquote a military <laughs> right. format to your household but when you bring structure when you bring discipline then good things happen. So this okay. book, I'm kind of curious about this book, Jay. Yeah. So Lean Treasure Chest, Photos for Fatherhood. When did you uh, publish that? I don't have that here on my list. Sure. So the Photos of Fatherhood is a book I published back in 2006. Um, the Lean Treasure Chest is a book I published last year. Um, and it, it, it's doing good. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to really take credit for for the benefit that it provides because it's a compilation of years and years and years of experience working with some phenomenal teams and some outstanding, amazing mentors. Um, But the book, The Lean Treasure Chest, is about getting everybody to understand what lean is. I've seen organizations, and I know you've seen this, where you walk in and they have a continuous improvement department or a black belt department, and they're responsible for, for fixing everything. And that's not how an effective organization works. So the reason I wrote the book was simple. Lean isn't about um, the directors and the VPs and the COOs understanding what lean is and saying, hey, go do this. Lean is about every single person in that organization. Um, uh, Jay, just for, before for, we go forward, and, sure. and I apologize, audience. No. Many of you do not know what lean stands for. So it's an acronym, so fire it away. So lean is actually a philosophy. Lean is, was developed by um, Toyota. Uh, it's, it's basically re- the reduction of waste within processes. But it's also the reduction of waste within processes 
to improve or increase the value to your patients or customers. It, it's kind of like the uh, great example is when you go buy a steak. A lean steak has very little fat on it because how many of you eat the fat? Well, hopefully none of you actually eat the fat. But a lean steak has very little fat on it. If a steak that has a lot of fat on it, a lot of waste, it's kind of a waste of money because you're not going to eat the fat. So you're paying for money. You're paying for a steak or for parts of the steak that are not actually adding any value because you're just going to throw them away. Same thing in our processes. Everything that we do is a process. Thinking about what isn't a process is actually a process. Breathing is a process. Dying is a process. Um, reading a book is a process. Everything that, our, that organizations do to create value is a process. And that process has many, 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 many steps. So lean is about understanding those processes at a microscopic level to identify what's adding value and what is not adding value, and then trying to eliminate or reduce those. Mm. Now, if I may uh, interrupt your flow so I don't forget or miss it. So sure. what was the book about photos of fatherhood about then? It was just stories of um, fatherhood, My stories and, and pictures of me raising our first two kids, um, and it just, you know, talks about, um, how to be proud of them, how, how to be humble as a father. Um, and l let me, let me point something out. The reason that I could write the book is because I wasn't. And I, I learned some very, very valuable lessons as I was raising my, our first two kids. So it, it's a, it's a fun book. Um, but if it brings a tear to your eye, don't be surprised. Let's just say that. Mm. So what, what was the motivation to even write it in the first place? I wanted to leave a legacy for my kids, and that sounds corny. I know it sounds cliche, um, but I wanted my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to have something that showed not just a picture of me but showed my heart. Um, and I, I told you the only, the only thing that I wanted more than the Marine Corps was to be a father. I, I think it stemmed from that. I wanted my kids and my grandkids and my great-great-grandkids to know how much dad loved them, grandpa loved them. Mm, excellent. Well, it's, uh, my stepfather-in-law, he's, he's passed away from dementia a couple of years ago now, so married my, my wife's mom. Uh, they both were widowed, and, but he wrote a sort of autobiography of his first half of his life, and it was fascinating. I actually wow. picked it up. I didn't, uh, I didn't put it down. Uh, he was actually a, a missionary during the Vietnam, well, he was a chaplain during the Vietnam War. So we was telling his war stories as Cessna 172 was being shot up and he was going to different camps. So uh, my encouragement, those of you that are listening, even if you had a little journal, you know, think about what Jay has done as a, as a legacy there. So mm -hmm. Jay, we only have about um, eight or 10 minutes left. So I just want to get around a few things. So first of all, before we dump in, jump into that, I want to make sure while people are listening, uh, how do they find out more about you, Jay, and what you're doing and your company and some of the things you're doing? How, what, how can they get a hold of you? Easiest way to do that is probably to go to the website, the company website, um, that just the letter J H O D G E A S S O C dot com. Talks about the company. It talks all about. Um, it describes the uh, the uh, uh, experts in the network that they can reach out to at any time. They don't have to go through me to do it. Um, and it talks about why why we exist. Um, Plain and simple, we're, 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 we exist for our customers. Our success, <laughs> our success is literally not defined by anything we do. Our success is defined by the impact and the success of our customers mm -hmm. and our clients. Very good. And where can they get your book? Uh, they can get it on Amazon. They can go on basically any, any website where you can buy books. It's on Audible. It's on a Kindle. So. Yeah, and, the, and for those listening, it's called The Lean Treasure Chest. So yep. with that, uh, just a, you know, a few more comments about you know what you're learning in the field. There is um, you know you talk about in your bio about the difference between a good manager and a good leader. Uh, for the you know, so we have a mixed audience. We have some entrepreneurs, some sort of professional developers. What sort of you what have you found in the field there as far as what's going on with management leaders? What's good? What's not so good? And to share that with us. Sure. Um, and I think most of the audience can probably relate to this from experiences. What I, ha what I tend to see in manufacturing service or healthcare is that we, we have a tendency to take people that are very good at their job and promote them to supervisor. Um, we promote them to manager. We promote them, uh, promote them to director. We promote them to VP. 
thinking that because they were good at the job or at the functional level activity that they're going to be a great leader. And, and it's a mistake. And I, I've seen so many, um, so many people that were outstanding at what they did break at certain levels because we don't take the time to teach what it means to lead. Um, leadership is, is not about the process as much as it is people. In, in order to lead, you have to be followed. And a machine, a robot, uh, a lathe, a, a hospital bed doesn't follow you. People follow you. And so um, my, my biggest passion, to be very honest, is teaching people how to lead. What does it mean to effectively lead? And one of the first things that, that, that always comes out is it's not about you anymore. When you become a leader, it is about your team. Your job is to provide them with the tools, resources, knowledge, and everything that they need to succeed because they are actually the ones creating the product or the, the service for the customers. Um, so that's what I see. And I think, you know, as I work with organizations, the realization of that becomes very, very clear when I ask, I'm sitting in a room with the CEO and a bunch of VPs, and I say, tell me about your leadership development program. And that's what I hear. A lot of times, oh, we, we, uh, we, we bought everybody a book. I'm like, oh, that's nice. How many of them read it? We don't know. Did you read it? Well, no, because we're already in this position. Well, you, I think you kind of get where I'm going at. As we assume well, that leadership is just something that, that's, that's just a natural migration or a natural evolution, and mm -hmm. it's not. Let's just uh, settle in the bird's nest right here for a moment. And yeah. that is, you know, there's some pretty intelligent people that you know that are around the room. And mm -hmm. this is no different than my 32 years or 31 years in this industry as well. Uh, it's very apparent. So in your opinion, why are intelligent people still missing this step? How is it that we have these amazing, you know, multi-million, billion-dollar companies that still don't get that? <laughs> I'm just going to be 100% transparent. I think it's because a lot of the people that are that may be currently in those positions never received the leadership training, so they never understood the value of it. So it's not a priority for them to have their their teams go through it. The the, the best leaders that I've worked with in the last 25 years are the ones who understand that that leadership is something you develop in a person. It doesn't come from. It can come from the knowledge aspect. Can come from a book but the application comes from the development and the mentoring by someone who is a leader. Mm. And so they didn't get it. And even though they're intelligent, they're sharp for some reason, they still don't acknowledge, even if they didn't get it, they don't acknowledge it sort of in their own space and their head space that it would be needed. And now that they're the leader for the people mm -hmm. that, that they serve. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a, a continual vicious circle. I work with a, a, a CEO out in Olathe, Kansas right now. Um, probably one of the greatest leaders I've worked with. He is a, he's been a CEO for years, but he acknowledges the fact that he has opportunities as a leader and he wants the, he wants the people that work for him to be better leaders than he is. And what a statement. You talk about humility. Um, and, and <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm in awe when I talk with him. Mm. Well, of course, you worked in the auto industry, but you were at Toyota and GM, but I worked in the auto industry as a consultant for a decade as well. And mm -hmm. sometimes I was actually quite amazed of individuals that were in senior positions, VP positions, yes. who really were, yep. um, I can't even say the words on air. Uh, right. <laughs> a jerk is kind of uh, being nice. You can, you know, times 10 on that. Mm -hmm. I, I just beyond me how they even got promoted to those positions. What what is what is sort of you noticed about how people that are incompetent get in these positions? How do they get there? Well, you already said you can. You, you're not going to use some words on uh, on the air, so I guess I can't use some of them either. Um, I think a lot of people get into those positions because they're what, what I refer to as bobbleheads. If they want to, they want to. Um, be promoted to the next level, and they will sell their mother to get it done. Um, they'll throw friendships, relationships, trust under the bridge to get to that next level. And, and the, the sad part is, is that organizations that have that 
put leaders in those roles, propagate that throughout the, the rest of the leadership team. Because everybody sees it. You, you don't fool anybody. If a leader is not respected or trusted by the, by the team, they're phony. And, and people see right through phony and they won't trust them. Um, but I think it's, it's just because people, um, they want something and they don't realize that, that a lot of times the position, what you give up for certain positions, when you get it a certain way, you've given up your character, your honor, your integrity. Um, you've given up the things that are actually the most important things that you, you will ever have. And a lot of those things, of course, we've all watched the movies. Now, I'm Canadian, but, uh, you know, uh, I have a brother-in-law in the U.S., and the founder of my company was born in California, so he's a dual citizen. We know that in the Marines, a lot of times you have this, you know, honor and integrity is is a critical part of just the function. You can't even have a a team without it, uh, it just right. falls apart. So with that being said, the question I have for you and that you want to pass on to the audience, uh, beyond the word humble, which you've used a few times um, for affirmation, is what are some other characteristics you believe are important for leaders that they need really to kind of embrace if they're going to be part of this this shift to this new style of leadership? They have to be honest and accountable. Um, you and I have, in fact, everybody listening to this has probably seen or worked for leaders that said, this is what we're going to do. This is what I expect. And then they do the exact opposite, but they expect everybody else to follow, follow uh, the direction. Um, you have to live, live the example. Um, you have to walk the walk. Um, like, like they say many, many times, your greatest example doesn't come through what you say. It comes through what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I think for, for a lot of leaders, a positive attitude. This, this last three or four months has been a great example of, of what, it, what an effective leader really does because, you know, a, a leader during a difficult time, and people are looking to you. It's like on a ship that's, that's having difficulty. Where's everybody looking? They're looking, for the, looking at the captain. And, and the captain of the ship, whether it's an organization, hospital, anything, the, the leader of that organization is the captain. People are looking to you for confidence. They're looking to you for hope. So a leader that doesn't um, convey that, hey, we're going to make it, we can do this, um, is really failing their team. So I think that, that positive attitude, not a fake attitude, but a positive, confident attitude, it is mm-hmm. critical. Well, uh, to really put you on the spot, Jay, are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, man. Are you really right going here? Even after you just said I was in the Air Force, I don't know if I want to answer this question. No, well, you don't know where I'm going with this. But after, okay. we only have about three minutes left. Jay, one of the things when you think about it, and this is global, so I'm not trying to uh, single anybody out or any party out, but uh, with both of us know, and listeners know, these are the qualities and characteristics of great leaders. In your opinion, why do we not see this in politics? I think because if you look at politics, we, we've created a, a, a political system where to get anything done, you have to bend here um, to get people on your side. And so we've, we've created a, a political environment of compromise. Um, and, and that's not to say that there's not great politicians out there, but I think for the, for the most honorable, character-driven driven politician, I think for them to get anything done, you have to bend. And, and it's, created a, it's created a very vanilla um, system where we have to give here and you take this and you give that. And I understand that there are different needs and that there are different, different uh, um, drives and different philosophies on, on different things in our society. But there's some things that, are, that should not be up for compromise. And I think we've, we've created a, an environment where everything's up for compromise. Mm. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So uh, anyways, I just thought I'd have, be playful with you about that, Jay. <laughs> so so we're, we're close to the end here. Um, beyond what you've said up to this point, Jay, what's the last piece of wisdom you want to share with the audience today about you know, how they might be able to be a better father or mother or brother or dad or leader of a company? Uh, what would you say to the audience that sort of as your closing 
words. Sure. You know, I, I think if you want to leave a legacy, and, and that's my ultimate desire, is not to be thought of as the greatest person in the world. A legacy for me is defined by the success of the people that I've touched, the, people, the kids that I've raised, um, the wife that I've been married to for 31 years. Um, if you want to leave a legacy, you just have to remember one thing. It's not about you. And everything that you do, um, if you make it about everyone else, you'll be successful. Mm. Plain and simple. So. Mm. Well, Jay, I mean, our time's up already. Hey, where'd it go? I know. I can't believe that. It just, it just evaporated. Uh, we've covered the world. <laughs> we did. That. Yeah. So, but thanks for uh, hanging out with us here on the Secrets of Success. Well, Ken, thank you so much again. It literally has been an honor and a privilege to be part of what you do, and what you do is so important, and I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jay. Stay on the line. So, okay. So, individuals, uh, go see Jay on a site. It's Jay Hodge. And it's associates, but it's abbreviated. We'll put it in the show notes for you. Find out more what he's doing. Maybe get his book on the lean treasure chest if you uh, are responsible for any kind of processes. And guess what? Processes can apply to the home too, just like anything else in your life. You know, when we think about leadership in life, and I appreciate what Jay ended with, and you know that we do work on purpose, is that, you know, my ability to really serve others is equal to or less than my own development so work on yourself help to help yourself to be better at maybe that's not the right word but develop yourself to get to this level where you can stand in courage and still be humble and there's somebody around you that needs your help right now could be just a friend could be somebody at work uh, could be a family member so just step up to that think about that because there's always somebody else that's worse off than ourselves so thank you as always for spending your time with us if you like what we're doing just please pass it on leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on so thank you for listening to the secrets of success i'm your host dr ken keys Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.